who he is going to heal next. Now, inside of that crowd would have been the disciples that Jesus previously called. So we know that at least Peter and Andrew, James and John would have been with Jesus. So he's walking along, and, and this crowd, which could have been somewhat intimidating, and I'm going to confess that sitting before you, I know most of you as family, and I know most of you as very, very friendly, if not friends, um, and it's a little bit intimidating just being in front of you. So I can't imagine what it was like for Levi as this crowd approached him. And they came down along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and they may have even surrounded him. So that's kind of the picture. There's Jesus, he's teaching, he's walking along, the crowd is growing, the disciples are with him, and there sits Levi, confronted by Jesus in the crowd. So as we go into this, I'd, look at it from, I'd like to look at it this morning from four different perspectives. First, let's start with the perspective of the crowd. Like I said, the crowd is growing. They're coming along. They may be curious. They may, there may be people in the crowd who are just so excited to hear what Jesus has to say, to hear what Jesus has to teach. There may be some that are curious about this new rabbi who has just come onto the scene. There may be some just waiting to see who he is going to heal next. You know, we don't know. But they're walking along and their numbers are growing. And as they're walking along, they look down the shoreline and they see Levi. And they know that Levi is a tax collector. And they know one thing. We don't like tax collectors. We don't like them at all. They are the enemy. They used to be our brothers. Most of the tax collectors were Jews. And they were Jews who had turned their back on their national heritage. They were Jews who had turned their back on their families. They, had, they were Jews who had turned their back on everything to go to work for the enemy, the Roman government. Now... So as the, as the crowd is approaching and walking down the shoreline and they see Jesus, he's making a bead for Levi and they know he's a tax collector. Now I can imagine if I'm one of the crowd, I'm a little bit proud and I don't like Levi and I'm saying, wow, I've seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. He healed a paralytic. He's got some power. He's walking straight towards Levi. Ooh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Levi is about to get his. Oh, Yes. But then something amazing happens. As, G Levi, as, as Jesus approaches Levi, he, he doesn't approach him with nostrils flared, with veins popping out on his forehead, with anger in his face. Jesus approaches Levi with the same caring, love, compassion on his face as he approaches everyone with. Jesus is not angry with Levi, but the crowd is anticipating not only anger, they're anticipating that Jesus is going to take care of this enemy of the state. But that's not what happened. They see Jesus walk up and with love and compassion look down at Levi and say two words to him. Follow me. Now the crowd is thinking, what? Levi is our enemy. And Jesus just told him to follow him, which means that Jesus wants him to be on his team, which means that Jesus is going to wipe away every sin, every stain, everything that Levi has ever done wrong in a moment and make him right. From the crowd's perspective, I bet that they were not too happy. Some of them may have walked away. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but what the Bible does tell us is that Levi does something amazing next, and we'll get to that in a moment. Now let's look at it from the disciples' perspective. Right? These disciples, we know that at least Peter, Andrew, James, and John, 
James and John are two of my favorites. They would later be called the Sons of Thunder. So we know that James and John, my goodness, they liked things to be a little bit exciting. A little bit later in the Gospels, we, we, we hear James and John ask Jesus, hey, send us ahead. Let us go on ahead to that village and let us bring down fire just like Elijah did. So we know that James and John, they like a little bit of excitement. Okay? But, so... So we have James, John, Peter, and Andrew walking along with Jesus. They're walking along. The crowd is growing. They're thinking, wow, church is pretty good. It's growing. Things are good. We're with the new rabbi in town. This is awesome. We're with Jesus. He's the Messiah. This is fantastic. Things are so good. And then they look down the shoreline, and they see the same Levi, just like the crowd did. And they see that Jesus is walking towards Levi. And as, as they walk towards Levi, they're thinking, oh my goodness, there's that guy. He's been taxing us. Because one of the things that a tax collector does is collect taxes. And one, I mean, they're in, they are fishermen, so therefore their trade is going to get taxed. So they also know that tax collectors collect more than they're supposed to, more than they have to. So they don't like Levi any more than the crowd likes Levi. So they're approaching him and they're thinking maybe the same things that uh, the crowd was thinking. We're walking down. We see Levi down there. Jesus is walking towards him. You know what? When John the Baptist was approached by some tax collectors and, 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 and they asked him to baptize him, John the Baptist said, hey, you guys need to stop collecting more than you are due. John the Baptist really gave it to those guys. Hmm, I bet Jesus is going to do the same thing. But as they walk down, Jesus walk, they see Jesus with that love and that compassion on his face. Walk towards Levi and instead of, instead of calling him out, instead of raining down fire and thunder on this man who had become an enemy of the very state, a person that they, I don't know if they hated him, but they certainly felt no love for him. Jesus says, follow me. And they know what that means because those are the same two words that Jesus had said to them that caused them to lay down everything. They left everything behind. They dropped their nets. They left their family. They left everything to follow Jesus. So they know what it means when Jesus looks at Levi and says, follow me. It means that Jesus has accepted Levi. Jesus doesn't care about Levi's past. Jesus doesn't care about what Levi did yesterday. Jesus sees what Levi is going to do tomorrow. Now, they're also thinking, wow, this is great. We don't like this guy. We hate this guy. And suddenly we're going to have to spend every day with him. He's going to be eating dinner with us around the campfire. He might be cooking. We're going to have to eat his cooking. He's going, to, he's going to eat our cooking. We're going to have to spend the night with him sitting around the campfire. We don't like this one bit. Now, if I'm one of those disciples, I'm suddenly maybe starting to rethink my decision to drop my nets. I'm starting to wonder, what have I gotten myself into? Did I make a wise decision in dropping everything behind and following Jesus? If these are the kinds of decisions he's going to make, what they don't know is that all of us have a little bit of Levi in us, that each and every one of us have a little bit of that in us, and, and Jesus doesn't care. Now, let's move forward, and let's look at it from Levi's perspective. Here we find Levi by the tax table. We know that he looks down, we know that he can see down the shoreline and he can see that same crowd and he can see the disciples all walking towards him. And he knows that Jesus is the new rabbi on the scene and he would just love, I can just imagine Levi saying, I would love to spend a few minutes with Jesus. 
I've got some questions that I'd love to ask him. But then as he looks, he sees the crowd gathering, and he knows that much of this crowd came from Capernaum, his very hometown, right where they are in the middle of. And he says, oh, this is not good. I know that they hate me. I know they don't love me. I know that they think of me as a traitor. And then he looks in the crowd, and I'm sure that he saw Peter and Andrew, James and John. And he knows that these are the very fishermen, some of the very fishermen that he has been taxing. He knows that these are some of the very same fishermen that he has been overtaxing. He knows that they know, know about him. And as they're walking towards him, I can imagine that he just puts his head down, maybe with a little bit of shame. Hey, if I don't make eye contact, maybe they'll just walk right on by. Now, before we see what happens next, let's rewind a little bit to Levi's youth. Let's revisit maybe what could have been a little bit of his life. You see, there was a tradition in Jewish culture of the time, and it may still be prevalent today, I don't know. Um, but in that time, there was a tradition where parents would name their child for who they expected them to become. As his name is, so he shall be. So we, we can interpret from Levi's name that his parents had some expectation that Levi would grow up to become a Levite priest. Maybe a rabbi, but they knew their expectation was that he would become a man of God. Certainly not an enemy of the state or a tax collector. So imagine, imagine for a moment that if we today named our children something like, uh, hey, best quarterback who ever played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, okay? Set a high expectation. Little, little, hey, Best quarterback who ever played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe we should set the heights a little bit higher. Hey, best quarterback who ever played for the New England Patriots. Okay. So that's our child's name. Every time they get called to dinner. Hey, best quarterback who ever played for the New England Patriots, come to dinner. Hey, best quarterback who ever played for the New England Patriots, do your homework. Hey, best quarterback who ever played for the New England Patriots, take out the trash. Hey, best quarterback who ever played for the New England Patriots, mow the lawn, do the dishes whatever. Imagine if you grew up with that name. You would know that your parents had set a very high expectation for you and that anything short of that would be an absolute disappointment to them. That's the expectation that Levi's parents had put on him. They expected him to become a Levite priest. And we don't know what happened along the way. Little Levi at age six going into his, his Beit Midrash school with the Jewish boys and learning the books of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But between age six and age ten, they would memorize those five books of the Bible. That's a pretty tall order. And then as they got older, there would be additional schooling and additional training until one day that they could walk before a rabbi and, and be tested so someplace between age six, when little Levi, who was expected to become a teacher, who was expected to become a Levite priest, and that, and that final testing period, something went wrong. And we know that something went wrong because we don't find Levi teaching. We don't find him as a Levite priest. We find him sitting at a tax collector's table. So we don't know what went wrong, but something went wrong. So I can imagine Levi. I can imagine Levi on a daily basis sitting there at his little tax booth collecting his taxes as his friends. The people he may have known all his life walk by and stare at him. They stare at him with shame. They stare at him with guilt. 
They give him gazes that would penetrate the heart and penetrate the soul. And every day he experiences, I've got a job to do, but I know that I am hated by those around me. I know they think of me as a traitor. The men that he used to go to synagogue with, they don't let him in the synagogue anymore. In fact, he's probably been evicted from the synagogue. He cannot go back and study the very words that he learned as a little boy. He cannot do that any longer. So he lives every day of his life with guilt, with shame, with remorse. His family probably disowned him. So all of those things, all of that junk that had become his life was there before him. And then one day, he looks down the shoreline and here comes Jesus. And Jesus has the crowd. And the crowd doesn't like him. And Jesus has the disciples and the disciples don't like him either. What do I do? And then he sees that Jesus is walking straight towards him. I'd hang my head. And then as Jesus approaches him, Jesus stands before his tax table and Jesus says two words. He says, follow me. In that moment, in that moment, Levi knows that he has been redeemed, that he has been made whole, that he has been accepted by Jesus Christ, the newest rabbi. He knows that he is seen through the very eyes of Jesus. We just sang that song, give me your eyes for just one moment. That's very meaningful to me. Because as we walk around our neighborhoods, as we walk around in our very lives, my prayer for each and every one of you, my prayer for myself, is that I would see each and every person through the eyes of Jesus. And that we wouldn't see people, we would see souls. We would see people who were worthy, were worth Jesus dying for and paying the entire price for. And maybe if we saw them through Christ's eyes, we would see things a little bit differently. And what was Levi's response? Levi got up, he left his tax table, and he followed Jesus. But not only that, he went and he gathered his buddies, all of his tax collectors, all of the people who were hated by the Jews, all of the people who were outcasts of society. Not only did the Jews hate the tax collectors, the Romans hated the tax collectors. The very people that they worked for hated them because they, they, they saw them as people who had turned on their own tribe. They were outcasts in all of society. So Levi goes and gathers his tax collector buddies because nobody else would probably accept the invitation. And he says, you gotta, you got to come meet this guy. You've got to come meet this guy who I just met. He redeemed me. He saved my very life. You've got to meet him. This is going to be incredible. And he throws a party and he invites his tax collector buddies. And there we find Jesus sitting with the tax collectors, much, much to the dismay of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But Jesus is with the people who are outcast. Jesus is with the people who need healing. Jesus is with the people who carry the stains of shame, who carry the stains of sin, who carry the stains of guilt. And he's sitting right there with them, and he's cleaning them up. Now, let's look at this from Jesus' perspective. Jesus is building his team. He's walking around, and he's calling disciples. He's saying, follow me. He's called Peter and Andrew, James and John. Now he is calling Levi. 
Now Im- imagine, imagine, there's some sports people in this, in this room, some sports guys, some sports girls. Imagine that you're watching the NBA draft or the NFL draft. I don't know if any other sports have drafts, but imagine that you are watching on TV your team's favorite sport draft, and your team has the number one draft pick. Your team gets to pick who gets to come on to the team first. They get to pick the cream of the crop, the best of the best. And you're anticipating, and maybe in that draft is somebody like LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Eli Manning, Peyton Manning. I don't know who the great sports players are, but maybe they're up and your team gets first pick and they get to pick them. And the person steps up to the microphone and they say, hmm. As the New England Patriots, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, uh, whomever, they say, we're going to pick as our number one draft pick, John Malloy. Now you know John Malloy, you know he can't pick, he can't carry a football, he can't run. They measure his 100-yard dash with a calendar, not with a stopwatch. (laughs) And you're thinking, what? No, Pick Michael Jordan, pick LeBron James, pick anybody, but don't pick John. And this is what the disciples are thinking. But Jesus is building his team. And and again, Jesus is not building his team based on who they were. He's building his team based on who they are going to become in him. Candidly, I'm going to share with you that there's a little bit of Levi in each and every one of us. There's not a person in this room who doesn't carry some sin, some stain, some remorse, some guilt. But because we worship the very creator of the universe... Oh no, this worked so much better at home. (laughs) What we have here is a beautiful pile of mud. Buried inside this mud is me. Buried inside this mud is you. When we don't have Jesus' eyes, and we see those around us, what we see is the mud. We don't see the thing that's inside that's precious to God, the thing that's inside that was worth him coming to earth, leaving heaven, and laying down his very life for. We see the mud. i got to tell you, sometimes when I look in the mirror, I see the mud too. But what Jesus sees is that thing inside It's precious. Jesus, if we're willing, wants to sit down with us and he wants to take all of the mud and he wants to clean it and he wants to clear it away from us. And he wants to sit with us and take every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, every bit of remorse. And he wants to take it and cast it down. All we have to do, all we have to do to receive This cleansing is say yes and be willing to sit with our Savior and accept his invitation. And then in that moment, 
What we also don't realize, what Levi didn't realize, what the disciples didn't realize, that not only was Jesus going to clean, clean away all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt, he was going to take it, and he was going to put it on himself. They didn't know that yet. But today we have the benefit of knowing that when Jesus cleans us up, he takes every bit of that stain, every bit of that pain, every bit of that sin, and he washes it away. Until we become, until what is revealed from inside all of that is that thing that was precious to Jesus Christ. It's hidden in there. It's hidden in each, inside of each and every one of us. It's hidden inside of each and every one of the people who we encounter on a daily basis. That thing that God finds precious, that thing that God finds special. All we have to do is invite them to come meet Jesus, to come encounter a Savior who will clean them up. See, today, my prayer, my hope, is that if there be anyone in this room who's never encountered, who has never given Jesus the opportunity, who has never said, Jesus, heal me, clean me, that today might be the day that you look up and say, see Jesus sitting in front of you and saying, follow me. Because Jesus gives us that invitation, follow me. And all we have to do is say yes. And he will clean away all of our sins and all of our stains. And then we be become children of God. So really, there's two types of people in this room. Only two. There are people who have surrendered to Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And each one of us, myself included, carry some stains. We carry some shame. We carry some guilt. And we don't know what to do with it. The only person who can remove that stain, remove that shame, remove that guilt from us, the stuff that we hide deep down in our hearts because we don't want anyone to see it. We don't want anyone to know. The only person who can clean it up is Jesus Christ. And the only way we can do that is to say, Jesus, help me, clean me. And he will. But then there's a condition. We've got to leave it, lay there once he cleans it up from us. It's been about a year and a half, two years ago that Jim brought his brick the brick of shame. And that was the brick that we lay down, but then we love to pick back up. So I invite each and every one of you today, if you have anything in your life, realize that Jesus is sitting in front of you today and he's saying, follow me. Allow me to clean you up. Allow me to, let, allow me to equip you to see others through my eyes. That is one of the greatest gifts that God can ever give. The other type of person in this room is the person who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, never surrendered to Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. And today, I tell you, if you are that person and sitting in this room that Jesus is before you right now, and he's giving you the same exact invitation, he is saying, follow me. He's saying, I love you. You are worth me dying for. You are worth me paying the price for your sins. I love you. All you have to do is say yes. In a minute, Arthur and the team are going to come back up here and, and they're going to they're sing a couple of songs. If after the service, 
Is anyone in here who wants to know more about praying to Jesus and saying, help me get rid of the shame, help me get rid of the guilt? There'll be people up here. There's Ira, there's Brandy, there's Jim, there's Lori, there's Bailey. No? Bailey may tell you not to make a fool out of yourself, but... Okay. Jonathan, one more slide. Before Christ, Levi was a tax collector, and that was his old nature, and that is what defined him. After Christ, the old Levi died, and the new Levi surrendered to a life of following Christ, and who he was in Jesus Christ became his new identity. That's our identity. We're not identified by our past. And this, this if we can have one takeaway, one thing that we remember, one thing that we learn here today, my past does not define me. My identity is not in who I was. My identity is in who I have become in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. We were worth dying for, and we are loved. I know that sometimes we don't feel loved, but we are. As for me, my past will no longer define me. I will choose daily to live in Christ, and this will be my identity. What's your individual response? We all have a decision to make. We'll choose to, to say, Jesus, I'm good. I'm okay carrying some of that baggage. Or we'll choose to say, I want to lay it down, and I want to let it go. You can do that sitting in your seat. You can do that by coming and soft talking to somebody. There's a lot of ways to do that. My prayer is that you would, because you are loved by God. I thank you. I love you. And I'm done.